Hi, friends. Welcome back to Have You Met Her, a podcast about amazing women. I'm Paige, and I'm digging into the lives of lesser-known women in history and sharing some of their stories with you. This month, August, we've been talking about women who were revolutionary teachers, women educators who changed how we view students and how to address the needs of all students. I'm pretty sure that if we all thought back to our time in school, we could name a teacher or two who inspired, included, or encouraged us in a way that changed us. In today's episode, I wanted to share about a woman who was so distraught at the inferior education for those in her poor and underprivileged community that she decided to do something about it. While her processes have been questioned and her success rates have been challenged, One thing is obvious. When she would tell her students, the first thing that we are going to do here, children, is an awful lot of believing in ourselves, they believed her. As she would say, sit up straight and pay attention. Here is episode 27, Have You Met Marva Collins? Marva Knight was born on August 31, 1936, in Monroeville, Alabama, during the time of segregation in the American South. It was the time of the Great Depression, but Marva said that even though she heard the adults around her talking about tough times, her family was never really affected. Marva's father, Henry Knight, was one of the richest black men in Monroeville, They lived in a six-bedroom house with polished wood floors, store-bought furniture, and Oriental-style rugs. Mr. Knight only had a fourth-grade education, but Marva called him the smartest person she knew. He had taken over his father's grocery store and parlayed the assets into a thousand-acre cattle ranch and the town's funeral parlor. He was a leader in the Black community. Marva attended elementary school in a one-room schoolhouse and always found herself in awe of her teachers. The way they were able to control and guide their classrooms, how they seemed to magically know things, and how they were always in charge. But Marva also did have the experience of being smacked with a ruler when she struggled to make her number twos facing the right way. Marva would write them and get her hand smacked. She would write them again and get her hand smacked. Marva remembers thinking, I wonder why she keeps smacking me. If I had known how to do it right, I would have. Marva felt like the teacher believed she had made the mistakes on purpose. Marva loved to play school, but only if she could be the teacher. Marva also loved to read and was a naturally gifted reader. During the time that she was growing up, Many adults in her life were still illiterate, and she loved to visit neighbors and family members and read their mail to them. She was also a curious child who loved to use books to travel to other countries through the books. She had a small travel log notebook, and after she read about a country, she would write and record all that she imagined seeing and learning. In an interview with Michael Martin for Tell Me More from NPR News in 2007, Marva remembers being told when she was a girl that her dreams were too big, that she was just a black girl and she should know her place. But Marva did have a dream, to be a great 
teacher. Marva graduated from Clark College in Atlanta, Georgia, and spent two years as a teacher in Alabama. She credits the principal at Monroe for helping her learn how to teach. She recalls, The principal was especially hard on new teachers. He sat in my classroom every day for two months, observing, shaking or nodding his head, and taking notes. After class, he would sit me down and lecture me as though I were one of the children. He told me to get to the point of a lesson more directly. He trained me to watch the students' faces, to see by their eyes if they understood. Marvel learned that a good teacher knows the students, not just the subject. After two years of teaching, Marva traveled to Chicago to visit her grandmother's cousin for the summer. It was supposed to be a two-month visit with relatives, but during her time in Illinois, she got a job as a secretary and found her future husband. In 1960, Marva married Clarence Collins and decided to go back to teaching. Marva became Mrs. Collins, a substitute teacher for the Chicago public school system. She would be a full-time substitute in the inner city for 14 years. Throughout her time, working with a number of different principals and teachers, Marva struggled to find and fix the issues that she saw over and over again. Everything bubbled to the surface when a principal told Marva that her expectations of the students was always too high. Marva should do what she could while they were shared a classroom, but these students were not her children. The advice stung, not Marva, but in Marva for the sake of the students. Marva considered herself a teacher every minute of every day, not just her time in the classroom. She believed that when students failed, the responsibility fell on the teachers in the schools, not the students. She had seen students who were struggling act out and be written off by the school system. It was easier for everyone else when problem children were removed. Trying to connect, understand, and help them wasn't even considered an option. And Marva noticed that many of the problem students were kids of color and had come from low-income areas. The low expectations for the teachers and the students was delivering below satisfactory experiences for everyone. Marva made the bold decision in 1975 to withdraw $5,000 from her teacher's retirement fund. That would be worth about $28,500 today. And she used that money to start her own private school on the top floor of her home in West Garfield Park. She called her school Westside Preparatory School and made sure that it was an affordable option for low-income children. Her vision was simple. She was going to invest in the students, believe in the abilities of her students, love her students, and teach these students successfully, whether they were flagged as having behavioral issues or learning disabilities. Let's hear Marva explain it for herself. Basically, five years ago, I just felt that there were far too many children being recruited for failure, far too many excuses being used for not educating children. Living in this area myself, I really felt that somehow there were far too many lives just hanging out there in a perilous vacuum. So I decided that whatever I did, I could do no worse. So I decided to start my own school. From the first day of class, 
Marva was teaching her students that the most important thing a person can have is self-respect. She would tell her students, I know most of you can't spell your name. You don't know the alphabet. You don't know how to read. You don't know about homonyms or syllables. I promise you that you will. None of you has ever failed. School may have failed you. Well, goodbye to failure, children. Welcome to success. Marva had high standards for her students. They must engage with her. They must try. They shouldn't be scared to make a mistake. And they should also always be comfortable pointing out any mistakes that Mrs. Collins made. She said that she was a teacher, not a preacher. Her words were her own and shouldn't just be believed if the students had another view. In the book, Marva Collins's Way, I read about a conversation that Marva had with her class. She said, How many times did you feel old enough or smart enough to do something, and then some grown-up told you you can't do that? I never like to hear grown-ups say that to a child. I don't know what you know. I can't wriggle down inside your skin and get into your brains. I'm just another human being who has lived longer than you. I'm not smarter. I'm not greater. I bleed when I'm hurt, and I'm tired when I don't get enough sleep. But I'm always here to what? To help you. Marva didn't believe in teachers sitting behind a desk and lecturing at students. She didn't believe in fancy films or expensive textbooks. She never even had a desk in her classrooms. She would be on her feet all day, walking around the classroom teaching. As she passed students, she would fix a collar, pat a head, redirect a student's attention. It was like a beautiful dance. Marva expressed affection with her pet names. She would call her students Peach, Darling, or Sweetheart. But Marva wasn't a gentle pushover. For example, there was a conversation in the book that she had with a child who pulled off her locket and was playing with its chain during a lesson. Marva noticed and said, You already knew how to play with a chain when you walked into school. Playing with a chain is a good way to get a job, isn't it? Put it away and listen to the story. I'm not reading it just to entertain you. There's a lesson here, and we all better start paying attention to lessons like these, or this world we live in is surely headed for trouble. But even in her scoldings, Marva would remind the students that she loved them, even when she corrected them or disagreed with them. She remembered back to when she got smacked with a ruler and the shame and frustration that she had felt influenced how she interacted with her students. To Marva, an error meant that a child needed help, not a reprimand or ridicule for doing it wrong. Marva continued her school in the upper floor of her house for four years. Then, due to an increase in enrollment in 1980, the school moved into an old bank building a few blocks from Marva's home. She hired teachers who embraced her unique teaching technique and style to help her teach her now 200 students. Marcella Winters, who worked as a teacher at Westside Preparatory School, says, When you're working with children, it's how you teach them, a certain way that you teach them. I've gone to other schools and I've seen how they work with children, but it's nothing like Marva would teach them. 
She always tells them that they will never fail, that they will always succeed. Marva understood that some students needed a bit more attention and offered extended hours to provide the one-on-one time that those students needed to be successful. She would invite certain students to come in at 7.30, school began at 9, and she found that before she knew it, more and more students would just show up at 7.30 till her entire class was there an hour and a half before school started. Patricia Jurgens, another teacher at Westside Prep, said, I don't think that many people treat teaching as a profession where there is a set of very basic skills that you have to learn and put together in a certain way so that you get a good or superior outcome. Marva has a way of putting together the program so that we can bring those things out of the children. Marva didn't believe in sorting children strictly by age or ability level. She would teach a group of children ranging in age from 5 to 12 and would blend lessons together, covering story concepts, spelling, phonics, and composition all together. Marva's ultimate goal was to get the children in her school to see the value of an education and to be confident learners so that they would want to continue to learn for the sake of learning. Everyone in the school was part of the team, and like any team, the school would only work if everyone pulled together. The Westside Preparatory School and Marva Collins were getting all sorts of attention. It started with Black-run newspapers locally who were writing articles about their successes. And then it grew to national attention, even resulting in a 60-minute segment on Marva, her teaching style, her philosophies, and footage of her classrooms. With all the accolades, critics surfaced. There were accusations of Marva abusing her students, exaggerating her students' accomplishments, mismanaging funds associated with the school, and of not even being a real teacher. Disgruntled parents who had been removed from the school for non-payment and a former teacher claimed that Marva misrepresented her credentials. The controversy became national news as well. A lot of the newspaper journalists and columnists who had written about Marva and her school also chose to weigh in on the backlash and all the accusations. Mike Rocco, a columnist with the Chicago Sun-Times, wrote that the complaints about Marva were nitpicky and that the complaints didn't alter the basic facts that Marva was and is getting the kinds of results in her school that would delight most public school principals. Morley Safer, the correspondent who had done the initial 60 Minutes report on Marva, stood by his original reporting. He called the critics' stories outrageous and loaded with inaccuracies. He said that he was convinced that Marva Collins was one hell of a teacher. The Wall Street Journal saw the controversy surrounding Marva as a story about the politics of education in the country, especially education in the inner city where public schools had failed miserably. He also pointed out that Marva was a woman of color and that that may have had something to do with the accusations and people more readily believing them. Newsweek had my favorite take on the situation. They said that Marva and the controversy surrounding her had taught us two lessons. The first 
is that even wonderful people had human flaws. The second is how much trust, faith, and hope the nation will invest in a teacher who holds out the simple promise, once taken for granted, of teaching kids to read. Marva Collins survived the controversy. Her school survived. She was tired but wasn't willing to walk away from her kids. And it was interesting to point out that in all the attacks, not one critic had ever questioned her commitment to her students and to teaching. Marva continued to run her school. In time, her daughter Cynthia, who had been a student at the school, returned to become a teacher alongside her mother. In 1994, recording artist Prince learned about Marva and her school and asked her to appear in the music video for his song, The Most Beautiful Girl in the World. In exchange, Prince donated $500,000 to the Westside Preparatory School Teacher Training Institute, a program that Marva designed to teach her methods to other teachers. In 2004, Marva received a National Humanities Medal for her teaching and efforts at school reform. Marva and her daughter Cynthia ran the school together until 2008, when they closed due to the lack of need. You see, enrollment had dropped as education focuses in the public school system became more inclusive, more individualized, and better supported financially. In other words, more like the West Side Preparatory School. Marva Collins passed away on June 24, 2015, in Beaufort County, South Carolina. She was 78 years old. The legacy she leaves behind are the students and their love of learning. Everyone saw in Marva Collins what he or she wanted to see. Journalists viewed her as a maverick up against the system. Taxpayers, tired of subsidizing the growing cost of education, liked Marva's no-frills, no-gimmicks basic approach to teaching, particularly when she was quoted as saying that more government spending was not the answer to the problems facing schools. Parents of low achievers looked to her as someone who offered hope to their children. Minority groups regarded her as a champion of equal opportunity. Conservatives seized upon her self-reliance, her traditionalism, and her insistence that old-fashioned values be taught in the classroom. And to liberals, she was a romantic idealist out to right the wrongs of society. No one could live up to all those expectations. Marva wasn't perfect, wasn't superwoman, but no one could deny that Marva motivated the children in her life and wanted them to achieve and believe in themselves. I want to leave you with Marva's words that she would start every school day with. When they walk in the door, I will say to them, welcome to success, say goodbye to failure, because here you are going to fail, I'm not going to let you fail, you're here to win, you were born to win, and if I have to care more about you than you care about you, that's the way it will be. This day has been given to me. This day has been given to me. Fresh and clean. Fresh and clean. I can either use it. I can either use it. Or throw it away. Or throw it away. I promise that it shall be used. I promise it shall be used. Not lost. Not lost. I will be superior in my ability. I will be superior in my ability. In my thoughts. In my thoughts. 
in my deeds, in my deeds and, in my actions. and in my actions. And you must be. Please take a minute to rate and review the podcast. This helps other people who might find it interesting to discover it. Please continue sharing this podcast with your friends. If you have an idea for a theme that you'd like to explore with me, please email me at haveyoumetherpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our Instagram page at haveyoumetherpodcast to see some pictures of Marva Collins and the resources that I used in researching this episode. You can also check out pictures of all the women that we've learned about on our journey so far. I always share who our amazing women will be early on Instagram. So follow the show there for that insider scoop. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform that you're using so that you never miss an episode. I want to appreciate all the teachers out there. I know that the work that you do is so difficult, but I promise you that your impact and influence on the students that come through your classrooms is a lasting one. Mrs. Young, Mrs. Prusak, and Mrs. Lease are three teachers from my past that to this day still inspire me. I hope that you'll join us for next month's episodes where we're going to be talking about some of the lesser known women in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. I can't wait to share with you what I've learned. See you next week.